Hello and welcome to Solutions, our new podcast for solution-focused hypnotherapists. I'm Kathy Eland. And I'm Trevor Edwards, and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. And we thought we'd kick off by looking at phobias, and in particular, needle phobias. With so many people being vaccinated at the moment and over the next six months or so, we thought it was a good place to start. So, uh, Kathy, do you want to start by telling us what a phobia is? Yes, I can. A phobia is a fear that other people might consider to be excessive or unreasonable. People can become physically or emotionally impaired by a phobia and tend to organise their whole lives, avoiding ever being in a position to experience a phobic reaction. Yeah, I guess it's worth saying that fear isn't a bad thing. It's uh, what ensures our safety and survival. Yes, but a phobia is much worse for an individual. Okay, so... um. Why are some phobias more specific? So it's a good question. So it's strange, isn't it? Because some people, they are, um, their phobias are quite unusual. Some people can be frightened of insects with wings, whereas other people are, have phobias uh, for sort of hard-bodied insects. I also remember a client of mine that was a friend of sponges. Um, she wasn't frightened of natural sponges, but she was frightened of artificial ones. Now, in the process of developing a phobia, um, for example, let's imagine that we're traveling in a train and we hear a screech, okay, and um, we, be, we pause. Now, this is the parasympathetic nervous system kicking in, and we pause to take in information. And dependent upon the length of the pause, so as we pause for longer, we take more information in, and that's where the information comes from to make this uh, phobia more specific. Oh, okay, that's really interesting. But why did some people develop a phobia from a traumatic event and others don't? Okay, so there's a, a cocktail of ingredients uh, that we need to, for, uh, for a person uh, to start to suffer from a phobic response. The first one is an event, uh, and this, remember, can be real or imagined, we know that. Um, so, so it also depends upon the level of stress that a person is experiencing at that particular time. The other thing is imagination. Okay, so some people have a, a better imagination than others. So if you can think about uh, Van Gogh, okay, if you can imagine his trauma would be in multicolored, okay, so it's to do with the quality of a person's imagination. Of course, we also know that it's the number of times a particular thing can, can have happened to us. So it might be, you know, the 50th body that a, that a fireman um, rescues from a fire might just be the one that tips him over the edge. And the most important of all factors is the fact that if a person experiences difficulty on a flight that they then decide that Cornwall is a better holiday option in the future. And that is avoidance. All right, yes. Um, but what about people developing phobias and they've no idea why? Okay, so <clears throat> I'll give you an example. So let's say uh, a young chap attending university and uh, he's on the back foot. He's had a very uh, um, stressful weekend taking uh, lots of drugs and drinking lots of alcohol. And he goes to the supermarket and in his past, OK, as a child, he can remember the opening the cupboard and some baked beans fell on his head. It didn't make any different difference to him at the time. But he's in the supermarket now 
okay, uh, on a, a Sunday morning and he's feeling a bit off, a bit sad. And he looks over to the pyramid of beans on the side and he has a panic and he doesn't know why, something from the past. And as he's going down on the floor, as he's having his panic attack, he's looking towards the tiles on the floor in the supermarket. Next weekend, same again, and he's in a lovely bar, the lighting, and, and he pays for his pint with a five-pound note, and it floats down onto the floor. And he looks and uh, reaches for the note, and he sees the same tiles on the floor of the bar than he does in, as he did in the supermarket. And once again, he has a panic. So can you see how he's developing and associating these different factors, these different stimuli? And this is, this is quite upsetting for that person because they're not sure why they're responding in, in this way now. Mm, yeah, well, that is interesting. So does it matter if the person doesn't know how or why they have a phobia? No, not at all. You know, do you remember the, when tw the Twin Towers? I saw people who had never actually flown, who had developed a, a, a phobia to flying. So it doesn't really matter how or why. And often um, these phobias, because of course, when we're, when we're children, we're a bit stressed. I mean, everybody will know uh, Solution Focused about the stress bucket. You know, being, being a kid is a it's pretty, it's a hard time, isn't it? You know, and often um, children with full buckets will develop phobias. And, and so, and sometimes we can remember that specific occasion, you know, uh, when we were in the barn, my grandfather and, and, a, and a spider flew down on my hair. You know, we can, we can remember these specific occasions, but sometimes we can't. And it makes absolutely no difference of how, how we can help these people. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's rather nice because my next question was, how do you help people? What, what, what do you normally do when people come to you uh, with a phobia? Okay. So um, I use the, the Clifton practice approach. So we have four sessions. The first session is the initial consultation. And we're going to explain to the client how we're going to help them. We're going to give the information about why they've developed a phobia. And also, in particular, how this process is going to work. And that's really important to give that information to the client. We then have a relaxation session. Now it is very important for us to do the relaxation session because over the past 50, 60, 70 years, we know the ingredients to the antidote to phobia. And there, there's two things that, that we need. One, as we've known for maybe even longer than that, 150 years, that we need some type of exposure. And the second one we need is relaxation. So that second session, we are going to introduce the clients to relaxation so that they understand and feel comfortable preparing themselves for the third session, which is the rewind. And the rewind session is we're going to reduce the stress levels using trance. And we're going to get the person to think about their particular traumatic event. And we're going to get them to think about it in their mind, backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards okay and the cherry more than the cherry on the cake we finish with the reframe and what we're going to do is we're going to ask the client to tell us exactly how they would like to respond differently to that phobic response so for example we would talk them through their their ideal flight we would ask them how they would like to to coexist with spiders and some people and you never quite know uh, what they're going to say because some people would say something like well I'd like to be very curious about spiders and I'd like to go and have and go right up to one and take a look and others might just say well, do you know what? 
I just like to, I just like to put it, you know, on a piece of paper and take it outside. Okay, so that reframe, the final uh, session will be a reframe and that will be very specific to the person. And so four sessions and the phobia will have gone. Yeah, I mean, I, I do much the same, although I would like to say that there are sort of plenty of times when that relaxation, helping them remove their stress, that has done the trick. I mean, I've had a client with a fear of driving and after the first session of relaxation, they actually got in the car and sort of drove. And so we stuck with simple relaxation over the next four sessions. And, and for them, their phobia had disappeared. Absolutely right. Absolutely yeah. tra- right, Trevor. And I have done the same. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to add is I, I did have one client and we actually ran through about seven, I think, relaxation sessions with them before they felt that they were able to face the rewind. The whole visualization of their particular problem was so traumatic for them that they just needed to spend time getting relaxed. And in fact, when we did do the uh, rewind, they came off the couch going, wow, that is fantastic. I wish I'd done it before. But they, they, they just weren't ready before. So I think it's important that therapists working with clients are, are, are flexible with that. Yes, we do have to be flexible uh, in both ways because sometimes a client might contact us and, in fact, their flight might be in a week. And in that case, then we might do uh, all four sessions in that week. And I have done and it has worked. Yeah, I, I had a rugby player very similar. And, uh, yeah, it just worked. It, it was a rush and you think, mm, it probably needs more time, but no, it, it's good stuff. Anyway, let, let's move on a little bit. Tell me why needle phobia is different than to what we've just been discussing. Because people usually avoid what they have a phobia of. And so in this case, people might not take up the opportunity to have the vaccination. It's also different because our usual methods aren't always appropriate. And the problem is that half the people who have a needle phobia have something called vasovagal needle phobia. Oh, so what does that mean? That means they are, like other people, very nervous when they're waiting for the injection. And, of course, they respond with a fight and flight. Uh, Heart rate increases, the blood pressure goes up. And then, just as the needle is inserted, the heart rate and and the blood pressure drop hugely, causing the person to faint. Uh, And this is what they call a vasovagal syncope. So, why is that such a problem? Two things, really. Blood pressure can drop, and in some cases, this may lead to a person dying. In other cases, it leads to people avoiding things like injections, and that includes going to the dentist. You've got some figures on how many people have needle phobia. Yeah, it, it seems that somewhere between 35 and 10% of the population have needle phobia. This is research from 2003, in fact. But of those people, about half of them have that vasovagal type of needle phobia. So what other types are there? Uh, well, there are three other types. So you've got uh, associative, and this is where a traumatic event causes a person to associate all procedures involving needles with the original negative experience. But that's pretty much like what you were describing earlier. Then you've got resistive. This is where a person doesn't just fear needles or injections but they also fear being controlled or restrained. And then thirdly, we've got what's called hyperalgesic. And this is where people have an inherited hypersensitivity to pain. So any pain, 
hurts them much more than you'd expect. It's just unbearably huge, the pain. So for them, usually some form of anaesthetic helps just take away the pain. Trevor, can people have more than one kind of needle phobia? Uh, Yes, they can. And it's something that uh, therapists need to watch out for. So tell me, what do you say to clients with needle phobia? Well, firstly, I tell them how common it is. And I also let them know that the medical staff will have seen it many times before. You know, it's quite normal. And I say that they should tell the clinician before they have the injection. So if they're hyperalgesic, uh, they can have some emlocrine to numb the pain. And if they're vasovagal, they'll probably need to lie down before receiving the injection. Would you use rewind and reframe? I use bucket emptying with everyone. It helps to be more relaxed going to the surgery. And it helps to be relaxed when waiting to be called in. Rewind works with associative and resistive sufferers. And reframe works with everyone, picturing how they'd like it to be. Okay, you said bucket emptying. I'm not quite sure what you mean by that. As we've discussed before, the second session that you see a client for is actually the relaxation session. Uh, And the relaxation is just a nice trans session. But of course, we are going to include beforehand some information reminding them of the process that they're going to have done. And the relaxation part is really, really important because psychologists and neuroscientists used to think that long-term memory was stable. And in fact, it isn't. It's what's called labile, okay? And in order for memory that has uh, been recovered, in order to um, stabilize it, we have to reconsolidate it with microproteins. So when a person is stressed, they use a higher amount of microproteins in order to stabilize the memory. So if we've got them in a nice relaxed state, they're going to require less microproteins to stabilize the memory or hence, less emotional attachment to that memory. So what do you do? I I work very similar to the way you do, of course. But for vasovagal people, I tell them about the applied tension technique. Now, this was developed by someone called Lars Goran Ost. And basically, what happens is a person needs to sit down, and then they tense the muscles in their arms, upper body, and legs. And they hold that sort of tension for about 10 to 15 seconds or until um, they start to feel the warmth rising up to their face. Once they've done it for that length of time, they relax for about 20 seconds, and then they do it again, and they do it again, and they do it about five times in total. And the idea is that people will practice this, this sort of uh, attention, about three times a day in the week before their vaccination. And the whole point of it is that keep going tense, it stops their blood pressure plummeting. Okay. And you've got some interesting research on this. Yeah, it's from 2020. It's that when you face a needle, you should smile, a great big Duchenne smile. And apparently, this big smile reduces pain by about 40%. A Duchenne smile is one where you lift the corners of your mouth and your eyes wrinkle. I suppose you could call it schmizing. I could, yeah. Distraction can work too. I mean, if clients listen to your download, it takes their mind off the injection or they can listen to music or read a book or even play a computer game or they can remind themselves of that fantastic holiday or a really fantastic Christmas. They need to relive the experience with all the colours, the vivid, the bright, the sound, the smells. Do you do anything else, Trevor? 
Yeah, a um, couple of things. I teach them breathing techniques like 7-Eleven um, breathing. With that, the whole point is that if you breathe out for longer than you took to breathe in, then it helps you relax. And abdominal breathing as well. If you look down and see your chest rising and falling, that's not as good for you in terms of relaxation than if you lie down and see your sort of stomach rising and falling. So, so I use that as relaxation techniques. Other things I do, I sometimes get them to imagine a friend who isn't scared. Imagine how that friend would feel and behave and then get them to step into their friend's body and just see how it feels not being afraid. And then the next step is to get them to imagine someone else who's 10 times more confident about injections, 10 times less, less afraid than that and then step into that person's body and see what they're thinking, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what they're feeling. Or if people tend to brood, I get them to channel their inner Sherlock Holmes. And that means they have to notice everything. They have to notice the colours on the walls and the ceiling. They have to count the number of leaflets they can see on display at the surgery. They have to look around and count how many chairs there are or how many patients there are waiting. It's that sort of thing. The, the idea is to get them to focus outwards rather than inwards. That seems to work for a lot of people. And I also use some NLP techniques like anchoring. So I'd anchor them on, you know, feeling nicely relaxed and calm while they're waiting. Or I use peripheral vision relaxation, which is a, an NLP way of just relaxing at the time. And I like circle of excellence, which is a way of imagining a circle in front of you with all the adjectives that you need, calmness, confidence, that kind of thing. You can just imagine stepping into it and getting those feelings flowing through your body. So it's a way of calming down. What about you? What else do you do? I think for the last eight years, the rewind and reframe has never failed me. Okay. Um, and like you, I do use uh, anchoring techniques. And I've just recently been trained on the Dr. Muss technique of rewind for PTSD. I also know that CBT uses um, exposure techniques. And sometimes that does seem to work. If you can imagine initially, uh, perhaps somebody might show you a picture of a toy spider, perhaps. Uh, and the next time they might show you a picture of a, of a real spider. And the, the next step might be that you might watch a film uh, about spiders. And of course, um, leading up to in fact, exposure uh, to uh, a live spider. Uh, and I'm, I'm absolutely sure that in, in some cases does in fact work. But I don't think you're going to get a person who's got a spider phobia is going to go into a room full of spiders. <laughs> okay, so that's it for this podcast. I hope you found it useful. And I think we can all say that solution-focused hypnotherapy can certainly help people with phobias, including needle phobias. So it's a very goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Eddles. So hopefully see you next time. See you next time. <laughs>